here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello. Hello. Just very barely. I can't really hear you. 
Can you hear me? Hello. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> All Pretty right. much, yes. Yeah. How's your audio on my side? Is this is this TJ I'm speaking with here? It is. This is TJ Mars, your host for UFO Talk. Great. You're cutting out on my end, though. I can't really hear you. Uh-oh. Hello? Okay. Can you hear me now? Maybe I've got too many lines into the studio. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. So, so that's pretty okay, good. Let's try that. Okay, I had the only on I can hear your dog. <laughs> I can hear you fussing with your microphone. So. Okay, trying to get adjusted. Let me call in another phone. Uh, Earl, three, uh, see, this is ridiculous. Three four seven nine four five seven zero seven. I'll call in, folks, just like anybody else. What it is is I'm transferring communication devices uh, from Mediacom cable into New York through my block talk uh, studio, and I'm using my cable uh, vision and my internet at home. So let me turn this other one on and turn this one off. Okay, so is that any better? I'm sitting here with three phones. Yeah, I don't that's have to much better. better. I can, this, I can, all right, I can hear you fine now. Sounds good. All right. Looks like we're going to have to keep this 9100 company because it's all cleared. All these fancy ones, all these gadgets, I guess, have got to be cleared tomorrow. All right. We'll have better communication starting tomorrow. Why do I still hear it? I'm not sure. I'm using my I'm using my earbuds here, so I mean, I can if that I can I can use my. Uh, Hold on one second. Let's see if this will sound any better. Give me one I second. don't think it's you. I don't think it's you. Folks, we're going to get, uh, we're getting California, New York, is this, and Florida. Is this any better? Oh, yeah, lots uh, better. What is, what'd you do? Okay, you know what? My guess is my earbuds are probably just not, they're just not charged fully. So, I don't know if it's better, but. Air, earbuds that have the wires on them. That's that's okay. Can you uh, so, if, are you sitting in front of a computer? Maybe can you turn your computer down? Do you have sound on? I'm not in front of the computer. The only thing that I have on. Hold on, is a little fan. Let me see if I can turn that oh, off. No, 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 maybe no! Don't worry about your fan. No, 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 no! Leave your fan on. That's fine. No, I'm just okay. making sure. Uh, no, no, I don't want you to be hot. 
Earl. I know you're in okay. California. Mid June. No, no, no. Uh, I think we've got it handled between your phone, my phone, New York. It's just the triad. I think California to Gulf Breeze, Florida to what part of California are you in, by the way? I'm here in Southern California. I'm a Valley boy. If you ever listen to Tom Petty's song "Free Fallen," all those places that he mentioned in that song oh, are my neighborhood. Wow. Racine oh, Boulevard. Yeah. The vampires that walk up Ventura Boulevard, all that is, is like a mile away. Uh, that's that's yeah. my uh, that's where I live. I kind of grew up here in Southern California. I'm a native, uh, and and as you probably know, uh, in Southern California and in Northern California, California in general, uh, we have the highest rate of uh, UFO reports that come in in the world. Uh, working for MUFON, you know, I'm chief investigator for MUFON here in Southern California, and uh, we have more UFO reports than anybody. Uh, it's just, uh, I think some of it may have to do with the weather, that people are outside more and looking up, you know, at the sky at night. Uh, it's, you know, more clement weather out here than other places. And uh, we have a lot of aerospace here, and maybe ET just likes uh, sunny California. <laughs> you know, All right. You know? Let me read this for everybody, folks, to get you acquainted. I apologize. We got off to a rough start. I had no clue uh, in this 24-hour transition I'm going through. It'd be this tough, but I think we've got it handled now. But what I've done is asked Earl to come on after nine years with our ACO and our TJMRCT radio. And we've wor- worked with MUFON for years and back in 2008. When I was in Kentucky, and we had Captain Dave, David McDonald running uh, the big show for MUFON. But I've asked uh, Earl to come on and be part of our Who's Who Association and uh, maybe help him help us in public relations. We're both volunteers for MUFON. But Earl Gray Anderson is MUFON's chief investigator and assistant state director in Southern California. Now, he is a member of Kathleen Martin's Experiencer Research Team. I guess that's a new ERT that he'll talk about. Now, Earl, as you can hear, is here now with us, and he has personally closed over 650 FO cases. And he is also, like me, an experiencer contactee, so maybe in the last hour we can get into some yummy stuff and compare notes. But in the beginning, I've asked him to come on and share his experience or himself uh, as a, a story of origin first so we can get to know him because I've never had him on here. And you know we are archiving for Ace Folk Life Society as well as our Artisans Archiving and for CUFO, Center of UFO Studies, and for uh, Jan Aldrich and uh, Project 1947 and our UFO and Alien Contact Org. Now, Earl has uh, got a – well, he's, he's got many hats that he's been sharing his high strangeness elements. And he's, uh, he lives in the West San Fernando Valley with his wife, Lisa, and there are two cats, Thor and Gigi. Now, my daughter that just passed is Gigi. I find that odd, and my name is Thor's Protection. And when I would check in on my computers when I was running a lot of 150 uh, uh, trucks across the country, uh, even some into the Twin Towers, uh, carrying stuff into the basement a long time ago, uh, Thor, 
I would see Thor because I was Thomas, T.J. Thomas, Thor, and that was my code name. So Earl has, uh, it, yeah, it says here, Earl has known T.J. since MUFON 2008. We will continue to discuss the history of MUFON and how it's changed since then, and we'll introduce others who want to share their history here live and archived. I apologize to all you MUFON members around the world that have contacted me through the years, uh, at least since 2007. But back to the real truth and trust guides, we are really looking for people we can trust and uh, people that will tell us the truth as guides. And uh, marketing public relations, a lot of people don't trust former government, nor do they trust people in Hollywood. So we're going to do our best to find people that we feel comfortable with talking in our Who's Who in our ACO Social Club and my T.J. Mars Agency. So that will give you a little idea of what we're doing today. We're starting all over after 2020 is hindsight. And we are in the United States of America for all you people around Australia, UK. We have big followers all over other countries. And Earl and I have taught, oh, my God, through the years, I guess social media, Facebook, I really don't know how, but we have some mutual friends. And I saw your picture with Irene Scott, who agreed with our ACO and UFO team here. And she's been on our radio show. And Kathleen's been on our radio show here with Denise Stoner. And uh, Earl, I'm excited to have you tell us your story of origin. Would you like to begin with where you were born in I want to hear your mother's story because I went to the Howard Hughes plane, Goose, and that Queen's place out there when I filed money to get my ancestry done on that boat out there. So you know more about that than I do. Queen Mary and the Spruce Goose. That's, uh, I think that they, the Spruce Goose, they've moved to another, uh, another museum or some, uh, it's another spot now. But we still have the Queen Mary out here. But uh, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on here, TJ. And, and yes, those are all friends of mine. Uh, Irina Scott, dear dear friend of mine, uh, somebody who I truly look up to. Uh, Kathleen Martin is uh, again, you know, one of my favorite people on planet Earth. It's just uh, you're not going to find a more uh, the more caring and uh, more knowledgeable person on the UFO phenomenon than, than Kathleen Martin. And of course she is uh, Betty and Barney Hill's niece and, and kind of took over the whole legacy there. Uh, the family, the family legacy, as well as uh, working with Stanton Friedman, of course, uh, was kind of her left-hand man, uh, right-hand man. And she was <laughs> not sure if it was left or right, but uh, they, they worked as a pair on quite a few books, uh, co-authors. And uh, her the, the book that, uh, that they co-wrote about uh, Betty and Barney Hill's uh, experience is, is one of the very best out there. And, and uh, I highly recommend any of, any of her books, as well as Denise Stoner. Uh, she and Denise wrote uh, one of my favorite uh, books on the subject together, which is the, uh, oh, I have it right here in my library, The Alien Abduction Files, Kathleen Martin and Denise Stoner. 
Uh, both colleagues of mine in the uh, in Buffon's experience, their resource team, and uh, both people that I consider mentors and 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 that I look up to truly with uh, all my heart, and uh, just just very proud to be working with them. Uh, now, uh, my own story. Actually, it's it's impossible for me to tell my origin story without talking about my mom. Uh, my mom grew up in Iowa. She uh, was born back in the 19, uh, 1923, I think it was. 1923, she was born, April, 20, April 13th, 1923. My mom uh, had a strange story that she used to tell when I was growing up. Uh, she, talked to, she called it her, uh, her ball lightning story. When she was 16 years old, uh, she lived in Muscatine, Iowa with her family, with her sister Mary and her brother Jean. Uh, and summers would get so hot and humid there that they had a screened-in porch, and she and her sister would take uh, sleeping bags. They would make, uh, they, they would sort of do a little camping number inside of their screened-in porch. And, uh, you know, it was screened in, so it kept them safe from animals, bugs, what have you. You know, it was uh, much nicer than, than uh, I mean, I've been to Iowa in the summertime. It's, it, it makes Florida seem like a, a very, you know, like, like it's air-conditioned. <laughs> it's very, very muggy. And so uh, she and her sister were outside uh, in their little respective bedrolls. Uh, it was around midnight, and, and her sister was already asleep. And my mom said that she heard this sound, like a buzzing hive of bees. Uh, she got up on her elbows. Uh, she looked to her right, and coming through the screened-in porch was this beach ball-sized ball of uh, sparks. She said that it was buzzing like a like angry hornets. It was lit up you know, like you would see like a firework lit up, you know, sparks were flying off of it, that it pushed its way through the screened in porch, uh, through the screen. And while retaining its shape, uh, didn't fall apart, didn't explode or anything like that. Uh, usually if you have lightning or if, as soon as it hits something, uh, that that's the end of it, you know, it's, uh, the end of the phenomenon, but this retained its shape and it pushed its way through the screen and it moved off towards her sister and was hovering there uh, over her sister, just uh, not doing anything else except just hanging there as though it were observing or something. Um, my mom at this point was quite intrigued. She was up on her, you know, semi-recumbent in her sleeping role on her elbows and looking at this thing, and it came over to where she was. Uh, she said that it came uh, within about a foot away from her face. It was almost like eye level where she felt like they were looking at each other somehow or another. Um, but she called this ball lightning, you know, and she didn't insinuate that it was anything more than that in, in, in when she would talk about this. Anyhow, it, it, it hung there for a few seconds, and then it went back to the screen and pushed its way back through the same way that it pushed its way in. Um, again, you know, it was throwing sparks off. It was buzzing away. My mom got up and she opened up the, the door, you know, in the, the screen and she ran after this thing. She said that she followed it out 
into her neighbor's cornfield. Um, she got out to the cornfield. She said that this was about 30 feet in the air above her, almost as though it were waiting there for her. Um, she got to where she was right under this, this ball of sparks. Uh, again, she's looking up at this thing, and she said that it suddenly popped like you'd see a soap bubble pop, that it popped and that you smelled electricity in the air. She said it smelled like an electric train transformer, which would be ozone. And uh, and that was the end of my mom's story. But she told it, you know, quite a few times uh, through my life. Uh, I'd even ask her to talk about it sometimes, you know, because it's such a strange story. And and uh, she, she believed it was ball lightning. But uh, since then, I've spoken with our mutual friend, uh, TJ. Uh, I, I've spoken with Irina Scott about ball lightning. You know that she's, she has a book where she, she writes, you know, inside the lightning ball. And she actually did see ball lightning at one point in her life. And she said that ball lightning will only last for three to five seconds. It doesn't last a long time like that. Certainly won't follow you around or or hover over somebody, move over to hover over somebody else. That uh, that it was under intelligent control, and uh, and that's the way that I look at it now too. I believe that that was a contact event that my mom had. Um, why was it? Why was she picked for this? I, I don't know. Now it may have had something to do with what happened later on in her life as she got older, as she worked for Howard Hughes at Hughes Aircraft. Um, anyway, that's the first story. Can, can, can you, uh, are, are you there, TJ? Because I can't hear you. Yeah, I'm muted. I, oh, I okay. forgot to tell you that. I just wanted to no, make sure. I, I, yeah. <laughs> we all wanted to make sure we're okay here. It's very quiet. But, but, uh, oh, okay. So my mom, okay, sure. That's the well, let me story, tell you. But, let me tell you that mm-hmm. I don't know if you know it, but I have a ball of, of light that came into my house when I, while my husband was alive, and I wrote that on UFO Digest. Wow. <laughs> and it was uh, it hit, so it had intelligence because I asked my mm. husband because it, it did like a big uh, infinity, and it spoke in uh, math, logic things, and, and things mm. I didn't I didn't understand, and then it uh, oh, went wow. up like a creature with wings, and it was speaking to me, but not out loud, in a ball of light on the wall. So huh. I'll have to go back and find that. I didn't realize that was really part of the UFO business. But now Jan Aldrich, let me just tell you, because you may or may not know of his work with Project 1947 and Robert, well, with UFOs and UFOs, but he's a very – uh, well known 50 years in the government and then doing this kind of work but uh, he works with us here on our UFO stuff so he has a ball of lightning that that's what interested him as a child but his came out of a furnace or something and his father hmm. was real intelligent but okay so there's all these balls plus Ronnie Dawson had a ball so there's mm-hmm. something about the balls and then what about the balls of light over the crop circles so i would like yeah. to maybe we should start a ball it, it, mine was light it wasn't green but let's start a whole ball of experiencers separate because this is getting so uh complicated and we need to break it down and unpack different 
stories. But I'm going to put you on that list with Jan, me, because of your mother's story. Well, you know, the Irina Scott that she and her sister saw like a small ball of light, but it was about the size of a ping pong ball or a golf ball. But that when they were kids, that she had a similar that, – that's why she was very interested in my mom's story, because she had a similar story from back when she and her sister were young. I wonder if she's on my show or when I was with Revolution. I lost a lot of my shows because mm-hmm. Mike Ringley died, and I didn't get the uh, mm-hmm. years. So that's why I'm staying with BTR. Yeah. They were bought by – just so everybody knows, BTR was bought by Voxnest, a huge company. And Voxness and Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, which if anybody's in radio, they know how big that is, distribution. But now iHeart, and I was already with iHeart. Uh, I was already with Spotify and Stitcher and all these. But now they're all one big conglomerate, which we're a part of. But our history of our archives, I talked to them here in New York, and the girls, they're staying. as a, They're all separate brands, but they're all together. So now I guess Earl, me, Irina, maybe Kathleen, whoever's seen Ball of Lightning with Jan Aldrich, we'll have archives. Jan Aldrich has all that, the files uh, from around the world, working around the world on all the uh, scanning, and they're putting it in New Mexico, and uh, that's a whole other realm that may or may not be paid for by MUFON, KUFOs, and that other group, but we've... We've got all that history right here before Earl came on. So uh, Earl has a ball of lightning with his family, and then we want to get his experience here. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, Earl, because you've got some great pictures and a new press kit. I didn't have any idea, folks, that Earl was a speaker. So I'll put him on our ACIR radio speakers bureau. As of today, I had no clue, and he said that was Cool. You like that page, right? That's fine. Sure, yeah, it's a nice page. So, okay. Well, you so know, I'm gonna go back to well, you. I'm gonna mute. Sure, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do that. It's your show. But, uh, well, this is the first story that my mom would talk about. And now you'd have to know my mom was a very serious person. She wasn't somebody to to just come off with flip stuff. So if she said something like this, you would, you know, it would, you would have to think about it. Other people would have to think about it, especially because people knew my mom's background. Uh, now the other thing my mom talked about, my mom worked as uh, one of Howard Hughes's two private secretaries. She worked at the Sepulveda office of uh, Hughes Aircraft here, uh, out near Hollywood. And uh, she was working there back in the 1950s, uh, mid-50s until 1958. She said that she, uh, she stopped working for, for Hughes when, when uh, I was born. So uh, she worked there up until uh, summer of 1958. And uh, she told a very strange story about when she worked for Hughes. Uh, so... Story number two <laughs> that was very strange that my mom would talk about was that she said that she worked in a deep underground uh, lab in, in a city under the desert. She said that, uh, that she didn't know where she was going, that at this point she had been working for Hughes. Uh, they, would con- they would talk with each other over an intercom system. 
Uh, as you guys probably know, if you've seen the movie The Aviator, uh, all that was true about Howard Hughes. He, he, was, uh, he was a germaphobe. Uh, he was a recluse. So he would, uh, he would communicate with his other people, with his two secretaries. Uh, it's not like he would have face-to-face meetings with either of them. Uh, they had the intercom system there that they would speak over. So he said, uh, my mom is who he would have uh, sit in and do uh, stenography at all of the, all of the meetings that he would have. Uh, he would do, he was one of the first guys to work in aviation with the military. And, uh, and my mom had to have very high security clearances to be able to do just what she did with the stenography that there were a lot of national security issues and secrets that uh, were being talked about at these meetings. Uh, and my mom said that, uh, that he was sent, sent her out on a special assignment. He didn't tell her where it was. Uh, he didn't really tell her a whole lot about, about anything, uh, except that she, they flew her out to the middle of nowhere is how she described it. She didn't say which desert it was. She just said the great American desert. I tried to pinpoint her down. I wanted to know if it was Area 51, if it was Edwards, if it was White Sands. She wouldn't go there. She wouldn't talk about that. So my mom was careful about what, how much information she actually did disseminate to even myself. Um, and now that's the first time she talked about this. I was maybe five years old. Uh, later on, my mom said, well, I didn't think that you would remember. I thought you were safe to talk to, but haha, you, know, you remembered everything. Uh, it was kind of to her chagrin that I remembered everything, but uh, she was not supposed to talk about what she knew. But she, uh, she was flown out to the middle of nowhere, the great American desert, as she described it. She said that there was a little shack that uh, she had a security detail that, that went with her, that they walked her from the plane to the shack, that it just looked like uh, just a, a shack, you know, boarded shack, that they opened the door up and there was an elevator in this thing, um, which, of course, she thought was very strange. It was going down, not up, obviously. There wasn't a second floor, third floor to this thing. Um, just like a maintenance shack in the middle of nowhere. So anyhow, she got into this elevator with the security guys, and she said that she started feeling butterflies and got a little scared because the elevator kept going down. It didn't go down the floor to like she suspected it would. Uh, it, it went down quite a distance. Um, she said that once the elevator stopped, the doors opened up and that there was a little city down there under the desert. Uh, she said that they got around in golf carts, that they had uh, a lot of people were working there. She said a lot of German rocket scientists were working there. Um, it's like 1954, 55 is the best, the closest date that I could pinpoint her uh, down to. That kind of works along with the, you know, Operation Paperclip, where we got uh, we sort of uh, after World War II we divided the scientists up with uh, with Russia and ourselves that we got from Germany, and so I I suspect that that was who my mom was talking about when she said that, you know, she said that she knew Werner von Braun that he was actually an acquaintance. She said that he was charming, 
which I gave her a little bit of hell over. I said, well, wasn't he a Nazi mom? How could he be charming? But he said he wasn't a real Nazi. You know, he was forced to do what he did for Hitler, but that he all he wanted to do was go to the moon, that that was his big thing, that, that he told her that we built the rockets right in Germany, but we sent them to the wrong planet. In other words, they were making the V2, you know, buzz bombs, the V1 bombs and all that that were falling on uh, Liverpool and, and Great Britain, uh, where he just wanted to go to the moon. My mom said that they had, uh, you know, there were drugstores and little cafes, that there was a cafe that had yellow umbrellas, tables, like an outdoor cafe. And she always thought that was funny because she said, you don't need an umbrella indoors. And she, it made her giggle a bit. But it was, you know, to make people feel comfortable. They were apparently, you know, down there working on stuff for long periods of time. Um, my mom never delineated exactly what the projects were that they were working on. Uh, she said that they were esoteric projects. And, uh, and that's kind of, you know, those were the two really weird stories that my mom talked about. Um, I got into a bit of trouble in fourth grade because I did a show and tell. What do your parents do? You know, my dad's a landscaper. My dad does this, that. My mom used to do, and then blah. <laughs> and I'm talking about this stuff, and the teacher uh, literally had my mom come in for a parent-teacher conference. She thought that I was lying or, you know. And my mom, you know, she had to tell her, well, my son has a really good imagination. I'm sorry. You know, I'll make sure he doesn't do that again. And then I sort of got the talking to. My mom was actually really sweet about it. She said, you wouldn't know this, Earl. She was at first really angry. But then she calmed down. She said, you wouldn't have known any of this. I didn't think that you'd remember the stories when I told you when you were a kid. You were just five years old, for God's sake. Um, but you can't ever talk about this. You can get your mom into horrible trouble. Um, and plus, they'll think that you're crazy, you know, that people don't know about this. Um, and I didn't know that what she was telling me was something secretive at the time. It was just my mom talking to her son. Um, later on, back in the 1970s, my mom got back into, uh, she started working at, at, at a, she opened up an unemployment, an employment office, but she was working mostly with uh, the aerospace community out here. It was in uh, Thousand Oaks, California is where I grew up, was my hometown. Uh, my mom sort of single-handed populated the, the Rockwell Science Center that was there at Lynn Ranch. Uh, she got people out. She did a lot of business with Lockheed Skunk Works, with Northrop, uh, Honeywell, uh, you name it. You know, it was uh, all, all the aeros aerospace companies that my mom was involved with. And, uh, and my guess is, is that because she already had the security clearances and they were still in place, that people felt comfortable uh, using my, you know, my mom's uh, background there in, in, in the field. And she, uh, she eventually uh, continued doing this until uh, the year that she passed away, 1999. She was still working as a, uh, as a corporate headhunter for, for different aerospace companies. So that was, you know, my mom, other than all that that I just told you, the other thing that she talked about, and she talked about it with authority, this is back in 1977 after I took her to see the movie Star Wars. 
um, my mom at the end of the film. Uh, it was myself and her. Uh, we were in Santa Monica seeing the movie. It had been out for a couple of days. Uh, and it was very close, if you think about it, to where her old office was when she was working for Hughes Aircraft. And for whatever reason, I think that the stars were just aligned and, and it was the right time and the right place. And my mom, we were in Santa Monica because she had had, a, she, my mom kept getting cancers. They said that uh, it seemed like my mom had even been irradiated somehow because they, they weren't metastatic. They, they were just, uh, she just kept on popping up with cancers all over her body. She had a clear cancer screening, and we saw this movie, and my mom got talking. Uh, the, the curtains closed. Uh, the lights were going on in the theater, and my mom started saying, Earl, you have no idea how true to life that movie is. Star Wars is not far-fetched. She said that there's intelligent life in this universe, that our government knows about it. They'll never tell the public. They'll never tell people about it. But, uh, but we know this. She said that spaceships, the different races, that that's all. And uh, when my mom was telling me this, it was like on one hand it was this light bulb going off over my head. Uh, it explained a lot of mysterious stuff about my mom and her work and, 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 uh, and certain things she had said over the years. Like when my mom had uh, heard about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case, uh, she, I remember her telling my aunt that she thought that she thought that was a very likely uh, a true story that that uh, from what she knew through her work uh, that that she believed that the Betty and Barney Hill case was a real thing, and that was back in 1968. I was 10 years old. I heard my mom talking to her sister about this. So um, this stuff all planted that bug in me, you know, uh, planted it in me when I was a little kid and I grew up with this knowledge. Uh, my mom said, it's realer than you'll ever know. And when she passed away back in 1999, and she passed away because of another bout with cancer, you know, it kept coming back. Um, again, it wasn't met metastatic. It was, you know, this brand new cancer. It wound up killing her eventually. But, uh, you know, I got her to talk a little bit more on her deathbed. She said that she knew that her job was risky, that there were risks involved. But like a soldier, she said that she did that for her country, that she'd do it again, and that she had no uh, ill feelings about it, and that she would never sue. Uh, her government. She said she would, you know, because I thought maybe she should go and, and, and find legal help uh, because, you know, she hadn't really been taken care of monetarily. Uh, you know, I mean, what's worth your life, you know, but she felt like what she had done, that she had done it for a country. She was very patriotic about it. So uh, after my mom passed away, I, I started reading book after book about the UFO phenomena. I became very, very kind of obsessed with it. Uh, I wanted to understand it. You know, she said it's realer than you will ever know. And I kind of wanted to prove my mom wrong there. I wanted to be able to know myself. And, uh, and this led me to uh, eventually to join MUFON uh, and to become a, a field investigator here in Southern California for MUFON, which uh, 
I do to this day. I'm very proud of the work that I do. I'm proud of the work that we do. Uh, I have an amazing uh, state director, Jeff Krause, who was my uh, my mentor and, and everything that uh, I've, I've learned about about this phenomena as far as doing UFO cases. You know, How uh, is very. How's his health? How's he doing? How is Jeff? Doing good. He's doing very, very well. And I, you know, and I still, uh, you know, I, I uh, my, my UFO cases, I, I get assigned through Jeff. You know, he's, he's my, uh, ch- you know, the chief investigator here. I'm very yeah, he proud that he chose me. Radio show. He helped me start this radio show. Wonderful. Wow. A long wow. time ago. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, um, I didn't know that. He's probably on here somewhere, or either was it Revolution Radio, I forget where. Yeah, he was going to be my co-host, and we did mm. uh, we did uh, a little on Roswell and a little on uh, Corso's book, because my uncle, uh, I guess, uh-huh. I, uh, Strom Thurmond had called me about mm. UFOs when I was a kid, and oh, um, yeah, wanted me to come to Washington, but he... Uh, uh, Put me. I wanted to be an investigator because I had my company ACAR. But when did you get involved with MUFON? Was it 2000 that you were awakened? No, it was. It was by your mother. And uh, 2000 was it 2015? I think is when I joined and I became a field investigator. Uh, let's see. Well, I've been doing this for six years now, so it was 2015. Oh my uh, God! So. I, I thought you'd been in since a long time ago, so we were talking in 2015 because Jeff had come on way before you, and you he recommended you uh, take uh, his place because you remember he was sick or something. You remember? Mm-hmm. And sure. Yeah. Or something. But yeah. uh, he did one or two or three. He'll he'll remember, but that's part of the history yeah. now with our UFO association. But. Uh, I think that's how I called you one time years and years ago. So it was twenty fifteen yeah, or sixteen. That was. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. you know, I mean, that's yeah. that's okay. how I, you know, got into what I'm doing, and 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 uh, you know, I I started as as just you know another field investigator here, but uh, you know, they liked my work, obviously. So, and I'm you know, and and, and with Mufon, you know, it's it's. Uh, our, our creed, you know, is, is a scientific study of UFOs for the benefit of humanity. And we're very, you know, it's very, uh, there's, there's definitely, you have to be able to do the nuts and bolts part of this to, to do it properly. But, uh, but I've also learned that there's more than just the nuts and bolts to ufology. You know, I went into this thinking that I was going to be uh, running after, you know, flying saucers with rivets, you know, that they, you know, that it was going to be, you know, outer space hot rods. And, and it's very different from that, as anybody who, who is in this field knows that there's a psychological element to it, especially when you're dealing with the experiencer phenomena. So much of it, I think, goes on in the person's head, that there's a psychological element and I'm not saying that it's just that person. There's, there's, it's almost like a dance between us and the intelligence that it's is a uh, dealing, it's dealing with. Dealing with the mind and consciousness, I mm-hmm. believe. 
We're getting into yeah. neuroscience and with uh, educational yes, groups, noetic sciences. Absolutely. And, um, we're all doing our the part with our various associations, but we need more. And we were working also with uh, uh, Monroe's Institute, and that's where Mike Ringley came in with Revolution Radio. Of course, he was a staunch Republican hawk. He, he actually mm-hmm. had hawk, called himself hawk. Uh, hmm. So I think that's why revolution went so right stream. But at the same time, hmm. I don't have those radio shows anymore. Jeff Krause, though, was a wonderful person. I guess he's still alive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll get busy. That's that's the whole thing. You know, I mean, that's I have to balance what media things I do with my actual work. You know, I mean, we work in MUFON. Uh, oh, you it mean isn't you don't all get volunteer. paid no, you were a volunteer. You were in the office. Uh, in the office, they 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 they're volunteers as well. They're volunteers as well. I think the only person on payroll, I think that the person that does the journal gets a little stipend, and the executive director. Other than that, everybody's uh, a volunteer. So, and that's that's the way I think that it should be. I mean, if if I was doing this, if if people are doing it for money then they're bribable or they're they're swayable for, you know, where the money is. And, and that's well, not what this website? is about. Who's doing the website um, for the nonprofit? Gee, I, I don't know. <laughs> they have people I don't that are, I just you know, on and pay designated money for and all these jobs. I, I, every once in a while, I'll switch a credit card, uh, you know, if it goes mm-hmm. out of date. And uh, I, I think I'll, I'll have to look. As a matter of fact, I'll go on in a minute. The main things that uh, – People's dues go to are, are 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 like getting the symposium together. They do pay the, yeah. the speakers. They have to get the hotel and all that going and do the advertising. The uh, there's uh, I don't know, I'm you know, work. but it's but but no, we 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 it is a, a nonprofit organization, and and that's uh, that's a good thing. I think that's uh, you know as soon as you get into a profit making organization, then you, you bump into some problems. There's people can have ulterior motives. I think that the main motive that anybody has that's working in MUFON is is to understand this uh, sometimes seemingly ineffable uh, phenomena that we're dealing with and, and, and try, you know, when, when there, there are things that, that are repeating patterns uh, that, that we see, you know, markers, like even, you know, in abduction cases, uh, there's certain markers, little time again. And I won't even tell you all of those because a lot of these we'll keep to ourselves, you know, because you don't want those out there because then people could go and fabricate that sort of thing. But we see certain markers that repeat over and over and over again, you know, no matter what the person's background is, who they are, education level, et cetera. Um, and I have people that are, uh, you know, that, that work as, as uh, you know, librarians or, or dishwashers and, and PhDs and doctors and, 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 you know, and they may express it differently using different words, but they'll express the same exact uh, markers of, of abduction and contact that uh, everybody else does. So there's certain things that are repeating that we can look for. And in science, that's what we look for is re- repeating patterns and, and patterns that can be repetitive, you know, 
Uh, now, unlike most of the sciences, uh, I know that, that you're, you know, say astrophysicist or uh, that, that you will, or a chemist, for instance, you can put this chemical, that chemical, another together, and you're going to get a certain reaction. And we don't always, uh, we can't do that with uh, things like contact and UFOs and, and the abduction uh, syndrome. These are things that, uh, that have to find you. And, you know, there may be ways to trigger it, but they're not very good. Like I heard, if you want to be ETs, just uh, put up some nuclear missiles, put a, put a nuclear missile base up. You'll need ETs, right? They'll start hovering over you. Uh, they'll, but but uh, short of that, you know, it, it's we have to go on, on witness testimony. We have to deal with what we have. And so it's it's different than a lot of the sciences that are out there. But uh, at MUFON, we still try to be scientific as much as possible. Uh, we do look for those repeating patterns, markers, and things. And uh, and also, you know, I mean, I I, I can see uh, certain patterns with uh, with even the types of UFOs that are seen. Like like locally, we seem to have a lot of the V-shaped UFOs with the lights underneath. Uh, sometimes people call them boomerangs, but it's more like a like a V, like a capital V shape. Uh, it reminds me of the the main craft that people saw during the Phoenix Lights. Uh, you know, the Phoenix Lights that happened back in 1997 in Arizona. Uh, but we have a lot of those craft that, that are seen locally here. Uh, it's been uh, confirmed both through uh, you know, the, the, the MUFON files that we have, the CMS system, uh, as, as well as, as Hynek's old group. And, uh, and uh, also, uh, my friend Cheryl Costa and, and, and her, her wife, uh, Linda, they put out their, their UFO desk reference recently, which I actually had the pleasure of writing the forward to the, the 2021 edition of this. But with that, you know, we, I was able to, again, see that we had, uh, at one time, these V-shaped craft, you didn't see many of them. And then there was a spike around 2008. And since then, it just kept on, there's just, the spike has sort of stayed up there. And it's still a thing here. And lo and behold, you know, I do get a lot of the, uh, a lot of the V-shaped craft uh, sightings here locally. Uh, one of our field investigators who is now gone, he's, He's actually in university going for his astrophysicist, uh, his doctorate. But, uh, but he saw with an with a astronomy class here at L.A. City College, they were, they were doing astronomy on the rooftop, doing their, their astronomy class, uh, their astronomy club. And they had, you know, a bunch of Celestron telescopes out there, all, all good equipment. And this whole class saw this V-shaped UFO. Uh, everybody except for the professor. The professor is out there messing around with a plosal lens on some other telescope. And by the time they got him to go and look and, and see why they were all excitable and excited about this thing, it had already left. But uh, the V-shaped crafts are something. And, and that's something that I've been able to uh, to prove through the just through the various sightings that we've had out here. Uh, it's a thing out here, you know, along with the, uh, the triangular black, you know, the black triangles, 
There's hot spots where people see those, by the way. I think they might be ours. Uh, over by Lockheed Plant Number 42 out in uh, near Palmdale there, they uh, have a lot of sightings of the black triangles. The R3Bs are ours. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure, you know. I mean, I know that it's a I know it's a UFO. I know it's unidentified that we haven't uh, said that we build them. And so that's kind of where it sits for me is is it's you know, it's unidentified that's what a UFO means. UAP. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the same thing, you know. Now whether it came from you know, plant forty two out here at Lockheed or if it came from Alpha Centauri, I couldn't tell you. Uh, well, do you it's keep kind an of eye beyond on them? my. Do, yeah, do you, I do. I do keep have an any, eye on them. I just, do you have any members or that you affiliate with monthly that go out there or have inside reporters? Uh, I really, you know, I, I wish that I was able to get somebody to sit out there and just look for them all the time. <laughs> but I think enough. Okay. I think enough people know about them. I think that word has gotten out. And I'll tell you what's interesting is a lot of the people that have reported the black triangles to me have been aerospace uh, engineers. Uh, One guy literally, I mean, he wound up showing me his badge. I had him redact his numbers and stuff because I don't want, you know, I don't want that stuff, you know, in my my records, right? But, uh, you know, he was who he was saying who he was. He worked for a major aerospace company. and, And after he gave me his report of what he saw it was, you know, your proverbial black triangle flying uh, towards the Lockheed plant, and he said that he saw this thing land. He said that it landed like a feather. It landed behind the wall there, and, and it's both Boeing and Lockheed that are in the same relative area. He wasn't sure uh, which which uh, aerospace company's uh, area had actually wound up landing in. But after telling me this whole thing, he said, so would you happen to know how I could get on this project? I really, really want to work on it. <laughs> and I, had to, I had to tell him, no, I, I really don't know. You know, it's, my mom might have been able to help you some years ago, but she's no longer with us. And, you know, I, I, uh, I can't help you more than just uh, tell you that you're not the first person who's described exactly what you just described in the exact same area that's a thing um and you know i had one uh, police officer who who reported one out in the bakersfield area he was off duty he was you know taking his dogs out to do you know so they could do their business and uh he looks over and, and there's this black triangle hanging over his neighbor's house it's kind of on the end of the uh the Bakersfield Airport uh, runway there in that area, he said that it didn't have any lights on, that it was just hanging there. It was stealthily. Uh, no lights, but he could see where the little, he could see like a little protrusion on each corner of this thing and another larger protrusion in the middle. And yeah, we usually see the red light in the center, little white lights off to each corner. Uh, he said that on the side of this, you could see uh, that there was an indentation and you could see pipes and uh, like, you know, this was a nuts and bolts craft. It wasn't, you know, uh, he didn't think that it was something that he thought that it was probably something that, that humans had designed because it looked so much like a, you know, something that we would do. It, it had a, sort of a sleek look to it that it didn't have to have that was obviously for aesthetics, um, perfectly silent, 
maintaining their evading all of Newton's laws. And uh, he he went inside the house to grab his camera, and of course, by the time he came back out, it was gone. <laughs> or yeah. they they turned their they had turned their invisibility cloak on, you know, but it wasn't there to photograph anymore. Um, and so there's a lot of those triangular sightings out here. There's a lot of the V-shaped crap sightings of those. That's a thing, you know. And then we get the weird stuff that I think is probably not ours at all. Uh, which, you know, the way the the rule of thumb I go by, and, and and I'll tell you something, TJ. I don't know if it's just my gut feeling. So you you have to take it with just you know with a grain of salt here. But I feel like the ones that look like they came off a conveyor belt that you see repeated, and people mentioned them having the lights in the same spots and, and, and all that, that maybe those are ours. And the ones that seem like custom jobs or change shape, uh, and that, that we'll see that happen. You know, you'll see something that looks like a spindle, and then it turns into a different shape. It could turn into a saucer shape. The, the, I, I, I wonder seriously if we have that kind of technology, and, and sometimes I think that that's probably our visitors, the, yeah. the craft that our visitors have. Uh, they seem like they're they do not come off a conveyor belt. They're not factory built. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we should have a uh, consensus on that based on the states. Well, we have 190 countries to support, and I don't know how well we're doing these days uh, because all our directors, everyone's getting older, and uh, mm. I'm 70 this year, uh, Earl. So, uh, mm. And most of the people that I was involved in, from NASA to uh, Wisconsin, they were, they were older than me. I mean, they were mature adults when I came into the business. Mm. Now, I came in May 10th, 1967, and then uh, rehired May 10th, 87, and then uh, reestablished after I was uh, getting out of 50 years with the government, May 10th, 2017, and that's when I agreed to take on uh, some of the stories uh, for the ACOC. Well, I already was committed to CUFOs. Right, because mm. of uh, international sure. uniform with the Air Force, uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and then Pentagon assignment. But when I moved from Hawaii back over to Kentucky, I stayed there 20 years. And then, uh, you know, with my death and dying husband, he had a 20-year back program. So uh, we say he left the building. But, I mean, we, you know, we buried his human body like your mother and my daughter passed. Yeah. And it's still hurtful, folks, even if you've had past lives and you know people are going back to another dimension, or people uh, may say it's all mass, uh, critical mass consciousness. But, you know, we all are individuals, but we're all connected. So that's up to you if you believe that or not. But in the UFO world, we pretty much believe we're spirits or souls, or however you want to say it, vice versa. But we're, we're come down here in these meat suits is what we say a lot in the UFO business and walk around, you know, walking and talking. But uh, we're aware of the consciousness is not the mind. And, you know, it's all an individual thing as far as the politics, the sciences, philosophies, and religions. But how do you feel, Earl, 
because you have the middle name Gray, and I'll put it up here. I, I don't know. That's his stage name, <laughs> I'll tell I you, guess. It's my nickname. The Earl Gray is I'm actually Earl Anderson, and as a ufologist, I've been used, I've been trying to get my actual last name in there as, as Anderson because I'm a musician. Uh, some people will know me as, as Earl Gray, the musician. You know, I, I worked out here in, in Los Angeles since the 1970s. Ah, um, you I know, oftentimes in the professional settings. So it's not nope, great it was actually, for It was named after the T. <laughs> it was before Captain Picard said Earl Grey Hot, too. Oh, I, uh, okay. I changed my name okay. back in 19, uh, it was 1998 when I, is that right? 98? No, it was before then. No, that's wrong. 19, 1988. <sighs> That must so be I, I say, I, that's the dates yeah. I got mixed up was your name because I remember we talked yeah. about dates and I thought you were much older like me and had worked with uh, you know Stan and uh, uh, the captain you know out of Ohio with well, his I'm wife. Well, I'm getting up there. I am sixty-three, so <laughs> I'm not a cream chicken anymore. But I uh, I just turned sixty-three last week, in fact. But uh, Seventeen but, uh, years younger. That's that, but you know you can still be young enough to be my child because I had my first <laughs> daughter at sixteen. I guess technically. <laughs> but Back you know, in the uh, War, we got started early. But remember, yeah, I got see, started I was too in young business for that. in '67. Yeah, the NASA. I had friends and neighbors that went over to Vietnam, but I, I kind of lucked out there. I was I was just uh, just young enough that I missed that whole mess. Oh. But uh, thank God. But you uh, lived think through was... it. You remember it, though, right? Cause you oh, yeah. Oh, no, I remember it very, very well. And uh, and I've worked as a musician for, for uh, you know, since I was a kid. I for, My first paying gig was back in 1972. And uh, I, you know, but anybody that works as a musician, they, they, they also know. I mean, you're, it's, uh, you, you usually have to have something else that you're doing in order to make ends meet. Either that or uh, you're playing cover songs, you know, like, I mean, I know one guy that's working in a band called Led Zepp again, and they do the Led Zeppelin thing beautifully, amazingly. I mean, Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin's actual guitar player, uh, gave them kudos and said that uh, he couldn't tell the difference between them and his own band live. But uh, that's one way to make money is by doing cover stuff, you know, playing in a Beatles cover band or or just playing in a bar band, you know, to where you can, you know, play songs that people are requesting. Of course, all that ended a year and a half ago with the advent of the COVID uh, pandemic. Very sad. A lot of my musician friends had a very rough time of it. That's one of my hats. And and, uh, everybody kind of knew me on social media as Earl Gray, but it was my musician name. So it kind of worked with the UFO thing, of course, with the great alien stuff, right? It's still a pun. You know, because it's the T and it's kind of silly. And that, that's kind oh, of what yeah. I went for. I wanted well, to, yeah. you know, it was just sort of like, I, you know, Elvis Costello, Elton John, those are all, you know, pseudonyms. And I, I needed one because uh, it, one, one club in particular that I played at, they kept putting my name wrong on the marquee. They mixed me up with Carl Anderson, who's an R&B singer out here. He's got played Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar. He's that guy. So he would bring a totally different crowd than mine, 
And two times the guy that did the marquee got our names wrong on there. And so I would go to do my show and there's a bunch of people expecting to hear an R and B act. And there I was with my acoustic guitar, you know, doing my, my thing, you know, which is more like James Taylor kind of acoustic rock pop stuff, you know? So, uh, so I, I decided to change my name just to get around that. And just because it was easier for people to remember, I just figured, well, Earl Grey, if I'm playing in a coffee house, it's free free uh, advertisement for me. Anybody that goes and, and orders a coffee, they're going to see Earl Grey tea and they're going to think about me. So <laughs> it actually served me pretty well as a musician. As a ufologist, eh, so-so. That's why I'm trying to get my actual last name in there again. And I'm just going with Earl Grey Anderson. That way the people that knew me as a musician, they know it's, the, yeah, it's that guy, right? But uh I'm not going to be scaring people, making them think that I'm a gray alien that's calling them up to talk about their UFO case, because that could be a problem, too, right? (laughs) I've had a couple of people, oh, I'm glad you're, I thought you were, you might be a gray alien, you know? (laughs) So that was, but that's the Earl Grey business and where that came from. (laughs) I, 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 probably not the only only musician to have a, a pseudonym there's there's quite a few of us out there actually but uh um as far as you know as far as ufos go it, it's it's been okay at least people remember who i am that's it's worked that way with the music as well as with the ufo uh stuff that i do so i guess that's good are you there tj i can't hear you all of a sudden I'm not sure if she's muted or her phone went out. And I don't know if I'm still on the air here. But uh, you don't want dead air, so I guess I'll keep talking. Um, So one thing uh, that I've learned in my UFO investigations is, is that you have to keep... You know, with with MUFON, there's always a scientific principles that that we ha- that we want to follow, and we want to be known as uh, as an investigatory group that that you know science is paramount to what we do. And you know, you go and you look at the roster of people working for MUFON, you're going to see, uh, you know, that we have astrophysicists, that we have people that are you know, just just a lot of PhDs out there, uh, as well as you know, common folks like you know myself. I don't have a PhD. I mean, I'm 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 a, a nurse. I have my nursing license, and that's you know where. Uh, but most of my sciences, I've I've you know been sort of an auteur and self-taught over the years, um, reading a lot of science books. A lot of I'm an amateur astronomer, as well as everything else that I do. So I I had that background in astronomy, and that's been helpful. Uh, you know that uh, there there's one of the things that I have to deal with quite often is that people will see something that they think is a UFO, and it's not always a UFO. Um, and sometimes people that are really good observers will be mistaken. Uh, for instance, we recently had a couple of Navy guys that put in a, a FLIR uh, uh, infrared 
video that they took of a jet afterburner, and it looked like two UFOs, two spheres that were flying next to each other. But uh, looking at the, you know, looking at the radar, the video that they sent, uh, you can tell what it was if you have that background. Is like, nope, that's an afterburner. I've seen this before. Um, and you know, J. Allen Hynek, who was the head of, you know, the Air Force's Project Blue Book investigation into UFOs. Uh, he's one of my personal heroes. His son, Paul Hynek, is a very close friend of mine. And, uh, and the, way that, that, uh, the way that J. Allen Hynek investigated this phenomena is always something that I, is in the back of my mind when I'm doing this myself. And, you know, that, that uh, Hynek said that 95% of the UFO reports, 95 to 90%, are usually prosaic, that they're usually something that, that, uh, that people misunderstood that was a prosaic object. Like we'll get a lot of mylar balloon reports that come in because something as simple as a mylar party balloon can look very, very strange. It can look like a, a silver UFO that's flashing Morse code at you. And uh, the other thing is, is the personal radio-controlled drones that people see out there. Uh, same thing. They get uh, uh, misidentified as UFOs. And, uh, and so a lot of what I do at MUFON is, is trying to figure out what something actually was. And I'll kind of go through the litany, and I'll go through the various uh, things that we see repeated from case to case on, on, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of, a lot of the drones that people think are UFOs, that it can be a, uh, that it can be a drone that's on flash mode and they'll spin around and it looks like a circular object, like a flying saucer with uh, a band of light spinning around the center of it. And uh, boy, we get a lot of those. We get a lot of, uh, a lot of sightings lately of Elon Musk satellite trains, the uh, you know the uh, the SpaceX uh, Starlink satellites, and then they look very weird, look very very strange. The first time reports came in of that, you know, it was like, what is this? Because you'll see like light after light after light, evenly spaced, going across the sky, going across the ecliptic area where. You know, you see uh, satellites going, but this is unlike any satellite that anybody ever saw. It looks like this long train of, of lights. And, uh, but that's what people have been seeing. And I'll, I'll get like three, four, five different reports per month of people that see that. Uh, but then I'll get real UFO reports where somebody will see a, a, a literal flying saucer. It looks like it came out of a, a science fiction film. And uh, there's, there's no other way to explain it. We, as far as we know, our government doesn't have anything that looks like that, that flies like that. As far as we know, we don't have anything that can reach, you know, 18 times the speed of sound like the Tic Tac uh, UFO did. Uh, Tic Tac should have created a fireball. Uh, should have created 18 sonic booms in its wake. It did neither of those. Uh, it just uh, made 180-degree turns on a dime, which would kill a pilot if that was a regular craft of some kind or a jet of some kind. Uh, no human would survive that. 
But uh, that's a UFO, and that's the difference between a prosaic object and uh, those objects that are not prosaic. So anyway, I'm not re- hearing anybody on the other side here. I, I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> so I think I'm going to hang up here, and, and uh, if, if uh, TJ wants me on for a little bit longer, I will, uh, I'll come back. So uh, it was wonderful talking uh, getting to talk with you guys about UFOs. Again, my name is Earl Gray Anderson, and I do work for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON. Uh, that you can, uh, if you see a UFO, just go to MUFON.com, and right on that page it will say uh, to report a UFO. And it's very easy. It'll take you 10 minutes max. And uh, that's where our cases come from. And, uh, and there you go. So I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. like to uh, ask a question of a guest. Of course. Um, You don't have to tell us your name because we're live recorded forever. This is live and archived. And uh, I'm having a whole bunch of people very interested in our new world. So can you tell us your name and where you're calling from? Well, well, I'm calling from San Diego. And I'll tell you a little bit about the name thing when I ask the question about that. Earl, this may be somebody you know or heard your music or in MUFON or just loves UFOs. But, okay, I'll let you be a, a guest, uh, but I'm, I'm used to knowing who I'm talking to. Okay, Earl, are you up for this? Yeah, sure. What's up here? <laughs> okay, what's up, lady? Well, uh, I've had a couple of uh, contact experiences, and um, they've been positive, actually, and, but I've never called MUFON. And I didn't know that there was an organization like that until, I guess, a couple of years ago from listening to Internet radio. And I always wondered why I didn't call. And recently I I called a friend of mine um, who I was living with at the time of one of these experiences and and said to him, you know, gee, you know, I wonder why I didn't at the time. Now, I mentioned a thing about the name because both times of the experience, I ended up changing my name. After the experience, <laughs> mm. I'm sorry. You hear a lot of and, stuff. I'm so sorry. And I, I'm not being disrespectful. <laughs> I had that happen to me once, but that's why I'm laughing because I had to have name changes. But go ahead, ma'am. I'm so sorry. Did it, and why it came, did you change your and name came, just out of just well, out of curiosity? Well, did it? Did you feel like it was it changed your life that you needed a new? Uh, yeah, it did. It, it, 
It did. It did. And and name changing had been something that I always had been interested in anyway. You know, I'm uh, I'm a person who's always been interested in literature and storytelling and drama, but and oh. also in the in the significance of name changing. Like say at, at around that that age in my in my life of the first name change, I had learned that Native Americans changed their names at stages in their lives, you know, as they went through in certain initiations, you know, and, yeah. and uh, I thought that was, okay. and, and I, and I, and I had been named at birth with a name uh, that didn't feel like it was mine. And that had been like a family story too, you know? So, and I had been, um, so anyway, um, but what I wanted to say was when I came across this show uh, today, um, yeah. it was right at the part. I was I was reading the the liner notes as I was listening to you, and 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 I was reading about how you changed your name, and and I thought, wow, that is a catchy name. Wow, yeah, that's a great that's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're a musician, and I am also. So I thought, yeah, oh, that's good. <laughs> so, well, great. So maybe um, this can work for you now, right? <laughs> Musicians tend to, tend to change their names quite a bit, you know, and I think some of that's like Bob Dylan, you know, his name was Robert Zimmerman, and he, you know, he, he, uh, he felt like I'll tell you, you know, as a musician, the way it kind of helped me was was it was almost like taking on a role of of, of someone uh-huh. else, you know, it's like Earl Anderson is is you know maybe limited to you know, and his musical influences and how far he can go. But this Earl, Ga- Earl Gray character, maybe he can do a little bit better, you know? And, and that was... Yeah, part it, it's thing. part of the character. Yeah. It's part of the character, you know? And then I, I also have known remember. that there was, you know. that in my family, uh, you know, in the, in the ancestry, uh, there, there wasn't any... There, there was there was illegitimacy is what I'm basically trying to say. So there was no real family name that anybody was carrying down anyway, you know. So it was like you know, it's hey, it's all drama, it's all character, you know. I might as well just make it up. And and anyway, it's interesting though. There is some kind of a a name thing. This the story even gets it's it's actually quite complicated. It as as though as though uh, there is in the contact, if there was, uh, that, that there was a higher intelligence, let's say, involved in the contact. Mm-hmm. Now, because what happened was, and this, I guess this is why maybe I didn't um, ever call anybody or even really, really talk about it much ever in my life, is because what happened was, here's, here's what happened, here's the story. So I was working, and here's the thing, so I was working for the military as a contract worker. This was in the 1980s. It was probably like the 1982, maybe, and uh, so, and, and this was Honolulu, Hawaii. So in, the, in my, I'm laying uh, just about to go to sleep, and I look up in, every time I go to say it, I, I take too long to tell the story because there's this sense of disbelief as it happened in my window, like a, it's like a, like you would think like it's a cartoon is happening or something in the window comes these beings. And as they're coming out and I have to say, so I am, it is a period in my life. There are people still alive. In fact, I was at the time working as a contract worker as one of the first um, substance abuse 
counselors in the country. So I was not using any substances of any kind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I smoked cigarettes. Um, but that's it. And uh, the same wow. is, you know, anybody can say it. So, and in through the window comes these, and as they're coming in, I was saying to myself, oh, my God, this is real, you know? Mm. And and I was terrified, like my heart's beating like a jackrabbit. And then, the, and so they were flying. Now, we lived on the ground floor. And then there was like what I would say is was contact. I was felt I felt lifted up off the um, off the floor, like what and what they call being levitated. And then wow. and then the fear stopped. Then all the fear stopped. And then there was see there was more than one, and they were all mm. around me. And I still was no I no I still remember being terrified because I knew they were going to do something to me, and that I was mm. levitated in in the air and I couldn't speak or say anything and then I was filled with what I knew for the first time in my entire lifetime was love what I would describe wow. as love because I remember saying that I remember saying to myself this is what love is and I've never felt wow. it before and I don't know what so they're going to do but, but it's okay with me wow I'm so glad and that's, that and that's the last thing that I remember wow Wow. Uh, did do you have so, repeated experiences that, that, that were similar? Is this just a one time? No. No. So no now I mm. now then the next the next experience, the next contact experience that I had, which was in New York, um, was was different you know, the way that it happened, but um was years later. And so like I said, you know, I didn't uh you know, I, 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 I went to, I went to, I don't remember anything else. So I, this person that I was living with just recently, because there's this, this kind of disclosure coming out in the news and stuff, I, I said, to, I called him and I said, so like, did I tell you, you know, did I ever tell you that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I don't think so. You know, and then we then we kind of figured out. Right. I said, well, actually, you used to leave, you know, before me in the morning. I remember I told the people. I remember telling people. I told the guys at work. It was like hmm. that's um, brave of you, <laughs> right? Brave. And I remember going. A lot of I remember the only book I could anything. find. Yeah. The only the only book I could ever I could find was that Whitney Strieber book had just come out at the time. See. I remember finding it, and sure. I can remember I have a I have a clear memory sitting on the edge of my bed looking at it because I went mm-hmm. to find it, and I remember reading it and saying, "No, but this is nothing like what happened to me." So then I was yeah. like, "Shit, what am I going to do? Who am I going to talk to about this?" Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, um, you know, different people have different experiences. And I think that there's more than just one race that's visiting us. And I think that there's, among different races, that there's different agendas. I mean, if you look at humans, you know, I mean, if you meet somebody from California, you know, they're going to have a different agenda than if you meet somebody from, uh, you know, from Russia or, or China or the Congo or where, you know, I mean, just people are, are different and 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 it a lot depends on uh what their personal agendas are you know um 
So, uh, but uh, there is, uh, you know, we, we see certain markers from case to case, but for some people it's, it's uh, a beautiful thing like you've described. And when, when it's that way, I'm always so happy. Uh, for other people, uh, it's a shock. You know, uh, there's one uh, doctor from, from, uh, from Harvard who, uh, d- his name was Dr. John Mack, and he, he uh, was a psychologist. He was a Nobel Prize winner. And he, uh, he described what happens when somebody is abducted as ontological shock. And the best way I can describe that is is that your sense of reality is pulled out from under you. That it's uh, it's almost as though it's like a magician pulling the pulling the table tablecloth out from under your dishes. You know, the dishes are still there. Your life is still there as it was before, but everything's changed. You know, it's like the, your sense of reality is then pulled out from under you know your 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 day to day life. And for some people, that can be a very uncomfortable experience. For myself, that was kind of what happened. You know, when I had my experience, uh, I wasn't expecting it to be the way it, it, it was. Uh, I wanted an experience. I was actually sending a thought out there. I was doing a thing called CE5 communication, and I wasn't even doing it very seriously, but I was just sending a thought out there that uh, I want to meet you guys. You can have my yeah. DNA go ahead. You know, but I want to meet, I want to meet you, but I, you know, I figured, well, maybe I'll meet like the tall, you know, there's the tall white aliens. There's the little gray guys with the wraparound black eyes. Uh, There's the aliens that look like praying mantises that people will come in contact with who look scary as hell, but are actually uh, apparently the aliens that you want to meet. Usually they're the ones that are very, very compassionate, uh, tend to be empaths. And, uh, and are very, very psychic. They'll communicate mind-to-mind very easily. Uh, my guys that I met were the little gray guys with the black eyes, and they're not, they were non-communicative. Uh, they came in. They had a job to do. They, they took blood, energy, or both. I still haven't figured out which. Um, you know, I felt scared because they didn't talk to me. They didn't, uh, you know, I was paralyzed like happens to a lot of people uh you know i couldn't move when this happened and uh and it confused me uh in the back of my mind i was hoping to meet you know a humanoid you know alien or somebody you know show me your spaceship (laughs) and now you know i was i was i was kind of i was kind of naive you know six years ago I, I just started investigating UFOs myself, and uh, I really didn't think it was going to work. It was very strange winding up on the other end of the telescope. You know, I was the guy, the other end of the microscope. I, I, I kind of preferred being the guy that was looking through the microscope at the slide. And it's very different when you find out that you're the observed and that you are the, uh, the, the person who's uh, on the slide. Uh, now that I've had time to think about it, I realize that uh, it's an interactive phenomenon uh, that, uh, you know, I've heard so many contact stories. Uh, I love it when I hear contact stories like yours where it was a positive experience. For me, it wound up well, being yeah. a positive experience uh, once I had time to sort of take it in and understand it better. Um, 
you know, there's something else I'd like to share. I think this is important in terms of the the positive, the positive nature. Um, And this had to do with the Hawaii as well. Um, This is another, I'm I'm realizing now is another contact experience. Um, And it had to do with, there was this place that I would go to on the island and it had to, it's by the water. um, And and you look out, you look out over the ocean and you're up high and it's an actual kind of lookout place uh, as you're driving along the coast from, from Waikiki to, to Kailua, but along the coastline. And if you go, Mm. especially when the moon is full, um, and, and you stop, and, and this is this this one night. But I was sometimes I would, if I would listen to myself, I would get called. Actually, I realize now to go there, and I would follow this inner inner calling uh, to be by nature is what I thought it was, just to kind of stop and go there. And so I'm I went one night, and I'm standing there, and I didn't realize I didn't connect it to to a UFO experience at the time. Okay. Until it and this one time, I did I connected it. But first, this sensation happened. I'll call it a sensation, and it's this: the beauty it was the beauty of nature is how it started. Mm-hmm. So, and it just it's just so big, and that's how it's, it's this bigness, the beauty of it, right? We've, maybe we've mm-hmm. all had that. It's just so big and so beautiful, and it fills it fills you, right? Just, Feels yes. like it's so big, it's going to burst, right? And when it was happening, it was like not a not a voice like you're hearing voices for real, but the voice said to me, "This is like this is us. This is big love. This is the wow. big love." Now, what I'm going to add to it is now think about it. If they loved you. Why would they want to scare us? Why would they appear to you as something mm. scary, right? Yeah. As anything scary at all. I wouldn't do that to somebody. I wouldn't mm. do that to, a, to to my kitty cat, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, I think maybe it depends on what the person child. needs, you know? I think that everybody brings, there you, you know, a lot of stuff to the table, you know? Uh, the, I, I, I have one friend, uh, Greg Bishop, who's a wonderful writer and thinker, and, and, and he, he, he tends to think outside of the box with this phenomenon. And we, we've talked about contact experiences quite a bit and, and about exactly what you're talking about is, you know, why some people have a fearful experience. Well, if you are a – if you want to become a, a, a Buddhist monk and you've, you've gone – into a, a, a Zen Buddhist situation where you have a Shaolin monk who's over you, uh, oftentimes you'll get the little koans, you know, the words of wisdom from them. But sometimes they'll actually take the side of a wooden sword and they'll hit the person with that on, on the back. Not enough to hurt them really, but enough to where it hurts, it, it refocuses them and takes their attention to somewhere else. And maybe that's some of the negative stuff that people go through. Um, other, you know, I've, I've, I've talked with, I, I had one case that I think about a lot where this guy is, uh, he, he's uh, another person who's in the military. It does seem like a lot of people in the military um, wind up having contact. But this guy was a Marine and he was in his barracks and he was taken from his barracks. 
And he was scared to death. I mean, the entities that he had, they scared him. It seemed like it was almost intentional. Did they hurt him? No. He wasn't hurt, not physically, uh, but he had a psychological shock from them. Uh, they made him stand up for himself. They made him stand up spiritually. As they, they more or less told him, we're going to take your soul from you now. And he, and he told them. He got in their faces and he said, you can't have my soul. Uh, he was a Christian. He evoked Christ in his speech, right? But talking with other people, uh, you know, people will bring up their, their, their source. It can be a, be a spiritual background that they have. It could be just that which empowers them. Um, but he told them, no, you can't have my soul. You know, it belongs to God. You can't, you can't do that. And that was almost like, you know, that was the last thing he remembered. And the next thing he knew, he was in the middle of his barracks kind of shivering with his bunk mate, like trying to help him, you know, took him to the shower. You know, the guy had like this weird black grease stuff all over him. And it was a very, very strange case. And he, you know, this was when th- this happened back in the like 1970s. Now he's an older man, and and uh, speaking with his family, they said that well, this really, really affected him. But it seems like this guy has a very like a strong spiritual thing to himself, and uh, and maybe that's what he needed was was to be scared at that point, and was maybe they were teaching him something. Uh, I feel like yeah. my my own personal. I, I just one more sentence, and I'll let you go. I'll let you talk as much as you want here. But I feel like my own experience was scary, but that it opened up all these doors that were positive, like synchronicities started happening in my life, and 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 my sense of of uh, empathy for others was jacked up to this to a huge new level that I haven't felt before. And maybe yes, that's I understand. I yes, I and I understand everything that you said. I understand and I agree with you. And I like what you said. Um, and I I feel like there's there's one of the strains or the threads um, that seems to be common. You know, I noticed, and I think I've heard other people say this too, that there seems to be um, sort of a, a correlation or a link up between um, sightings or experiences in military bases and these sightings, right? And it's something I've never, but there, yep. there's a thread or a connection between military and um, and spiritual things are disciplines, aren't they? Like a vibration. There's a vibration sure. or frequency that's similar. And disciplines are something that's, that is uh, necessary um, in both of these paths, both of those pathways. So a, a frequency would, a common frequency um, there's a common frequency to both of those paths. I've, um, I'm seeing that. I saw that when, when you were speaking. Um, that is, uh, I love that. It, is, it is interesting. The thing that you mentioned about the, uh, about the, the, the spiritual teacher, and uh, I forget the stick that you talked about there. Some people in meditation will sometimes have a tendency to fall asleep, and the, the teacher would go around with that stick and give them a little whack. Exactly. That's the same thing. Yes. It is. Now, I also, uh, I was asked my name in the beginning. There's a little story that goes with this. That's interesting because I was talking about it's as though there's a higher intelligence working with us. So uh, the name that I had changed my birth name from, I changed it to Sarah Zephins. Z-E-P-H-Y-N-Z. 
And there was someone living with us at the time. So it, it, I changed it literally to Zephan for my last name. So my father, who was living, yes. So my father, who was in the early 80s, it, and it made it very easy to change it legally. So I changed it legally, my last name. And, um, and there was a flow to it. People just began to call me Sarah Zephan. my first and my last name. I had it changed legally. But my father, who was living on the island at the time, he went to the... Um, he loved the library. Then he went to the to the library, and he he didn't have the internet or anything like that. So there are some of you alive who don't know what that's like, but some of you do know what that's like. So he went to the real <laughs> library. He came back to me a couple of months later, and he said, "Sarah, you know there is nobody in this world who has that name, Zephyn, Z E P H Y N Z." Nobody. I love it. Now, now, the other interesting thing about that to me is that at that time also for years, I had been interested in numerology. So I had been doing numerology on all kinds of things with name changes up until this contact experience. But remember, I said, I don't remember anything that happened with it, you know? And the way that the final name change, not with the first name, but the last name happened was, that I had been working, you know, with an ex-client of mine. And one day, so one day I had, um, he had needed, um, he needed a ride. And I gave him a ride. And we were going up this little mountain pass on Kahikiri Rut Drive is what it's called in the early evening. And <laughs> I could still see it clearly. And you know how you just get that energy? You can feel it. Mm-hmm. I get it sometimes. And, uh, his name is Eugene, and I, I could feel it. Um, I had one of those clear, clairsentient moments. I could feel it. I don't get them all the time. And uh, I told him what I was doing and about the, the last name. And I, and I looked at him, and I asked him, and he said it. He said that name. And, and I oh. knew it when he said it, that that was it. And that's how I got that name. I feel like it was just zoomed, like channel. So all that work with the numbers oh. and the letters and the adding it up and all that stuff, that's not where it came from. I feel like it came huh. from like a place. See, so it, it, you would say, like, did it come from that contact experience, you know? You know I see, love that. Well, it was meaningful I to did you. Too. You see, it I was did meaningful. And, and, on a, and your other name wasn't, right? It, this was a name that you picked for yourself, and it, it was meaningful. And 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 there you go. You know, I mean, uh, that's uh, that's a good and positive thing. So, and it reminds you of your experience. It reminds you of Hawaii, I'm sure, and that can't be a bad thing. It's a beautiful area, you know. <laughs> yeah. You're mentioning, I think, in Diamond Head. You know, is the one place when you were talking about uh, your 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 feeling of beauty. But I, I've been in that area. That no, this is on the windward side. This is on the windward uh, side. Okay. Are you talking okay. about All right. the drive between Waikiki over to Waikoloa area, across the mountain through the through the tunnel? For which experience, the big love one or the name changing? I don't know. I'm scared. I know you or something. I worked over there for the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> she did. You yeah. might, yeah. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I was in yeah. the military, roughly, yeah. uh, or in uh, in the government, we'll say. Uh, NASA yeah. Houston, May 10th, 1967. But my papers were all signed and filled out before that, but that's the date. But uh, I got transferred from there to 
New York, Chicago, Great Lakes, Denver, Lowry Air Force Base, Edwards, somewhere out in the Vegas area, and then Hawaii. Mm. And then from so Hawaii, I was up there eighty eight to ninety four, yeah. I think. Where were when were you there? Okay, so I left though in eighty seven. Oh no, and then I came back again though. I, I went back again though there and I was still doing so so you know what NASAP is then? I know what uniform in and out. I was personnel information security and worked for Pearl Harbor. And even the (laughs) gentleman that had to have his clearance to come on and be in charge of the entire island because everybody was under investigation, I had to clear him. And he and I had – I didn't have his paperwork proper, and he and I went into it. Do you know who I am? (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry. I'm just doing my job, man, you know. So it was a rough time for me and intelligence, Hmm. but uh, we learned how to clear. Yeah, I learned all the classifications and all that. So you are uh, GS, our former GS? No, no, I was, no, so I, but my friends were. So I was just a contract worker. In fact, fact, the gunny sergeant that I worked with, he he said, you're going to be, you're gonna, you're gonna be like a a paper clip someday. He goes, you're gonna be like a rubber band. He goes, that's okay. But you were office supplies, office supplies, or something. But I worked on Kaneohe Marine Corps Air Station Base. It was I did too. Kaneohe Base. Mm. I was 13 Corps over there. Yeah, I was the uh, I was and the I was just, black. You remember them hanging just, some grapes out there on the on the helicopters? <laughs> yeah, but it is it is. I was young, you know. I was just. I was <laughs> I'm going to be 70, lady. Now, you got to tell me a name, man. This is not good. I own this station. I've been here nine years, and this is, I'm celebrating. Earl came on after nine years. Well, however long I've known him. I thought it was many more, but at least <laughs> six, since 2015. Six years, probably. But, yeah. yeah, about six years. And uh, so, yeah. okay, so you were a contractor, a government. Did you, do you know, can you say? I mean, it's part of your history, but, yeah, but you know. Yeah, but I see, but what's. But yeah, but it's interesting. So my 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 little uh, my little uh, rubber band paychecks, you know, went out to a different name because I I changed my name right after, and then right after I changed my name, I ended up leaving that leaving that uh, leaving there. Yeah, we used to go by social security numbers when it was hard copy. I was in when we still had hard copies. I had control of the files over in per OPM area, our personnel information security. I got in with all the files on the island, see. So you would have had mm. a hard copy over there if you were but now government contractors came I mean in like I our, could tell you names like I could tell you names of the people that I worked with. You know what I mean? Like of the well, maybe we the could do this off air because uh <laughs> I could do that. You know, yeah, it's perfectly okay if you want to remain anonymous. I don't. I I never <laughs> ask people their name if they they they're uncomfortable with you know sharing it. And I'll, and I'll, but you know something interesting now. Uh, there's such an interest from our visitors in the military. I mean that's it's just over and over again. It is. I mean the Marina guy I was telling you about. And I'll tell you, so many people that I talk with, so many experiencers. You know, one woman I was talking with. The first time she ever saw a UFO, uh, her dad had been transferred to another uh, Air Force base, and they're driving there. And she's looking out the back window of their station wagon, and there's this silver disc that's following their car. Uh, how often I've heard these stories, you know. 
Uh, my mom, technically, she was never in the military. She was a contractor, like you're talking about. She worked uh, in a contractual way, uh, as as you know, that's what Howard Hughes was doing as well. I mean, that was the first, uh, you know, military. One of the first. I, I talked with one guy, Richard Souter, who's written a few books about our underground bases, and he. Oh my God! Are you about When was this? Yeah, you know, Richard, he's an interesting guy. And he told me, he couldn't tell me. I need to tell you something. Your mother, when you were talking about your mother, you've never read my book, Roswell UFO Encounters, have you? Uh Uh-uh, I have not, no. I I talk about underground base and the golf carts. Mm. So you never, you didn't know I wrote about that stuff, do you? No, no. Most people have no clue writes a lot. And I am yeah. so open book to the entire world. But even Jim Mars, you know, Jim yeah. was a good good investigator. And he knew who I was out of Texas. Yeah. And uh, he had issues, but I know all about his story and his investigations and all that. But between him and Stanton Friedman, they kept me secret, just like the government did. So uh-huh. I, I'll tell you now that I'm retired, uh, both of you and anybody that's listening, our government has changed a whole lot, and I really feel ignorant about the intelligence world now. However, mm. there was I've been tracked my entire life. I had followings, like you're talking about, through cars. My children did. We, it didn't matter if we lived in New York, Rochester. We had white <laughs> lights with balls, red lights coming out. We had them following us in cars. Sure. I went across as a truck driver, had him follow me. I was there in eighty. What was it? March thirteenth, nineteen ninety-seven. I happened to be there with the big, uh, the, the big lights coming over Phoenix. They put oh, me everywhere wow. they needed me, and yet they would never in the early days. And when I was over at Balboa Hospital, running up and down the coast, Connie Ellie as a corpsman, I would grab my good cannon or either my good uh, Pentax. And back in those days, even though they followed me, they would not let me take a photo in California. Now, folks, mm. if I ever write every piece of what's been going on just in my life, there's a lot of things I want to know. And this is the whole thing about curiosity. And I was, curi- I was curious as to who came on because my daughter called about – she was in court today here in Pensacola Gulf Breeze area, and she's former government, our contract, our – working, you know, undercover. So she had to go mm-hmm. to court. So I took that call, if you wondered what happened on that brief spot, and then I went, oh, my God, Stephanie, my person is talking, and I couldn't get off. She needed to discuss it, and I was caught because she's my daughter, and it was like a this was I the main day. Was, I was in dead air for too long, but I thought that I, if you want, I thought that maybe I was off. And, uh-huh. and so I wanted to make it so you could call me right back if I was if I had gotten kicked off. So yeah, uh, that's no, why I just keep going. No. But then this lady came <laughs> I on. I took the conversation the way it was going and kept it going. But, but well, I was just, scared well, it was somebody so, with the government. And then she starts saying she doesn't want to tell me who she is. So I'm already paranoid. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, do you guys ever wonder? I mean, I, I think that there's a reason why a lot of the people that are, are contactees and abductees are are, uh, are military. I think that, that we are being retooled as, as a race, that we're, like yeah, that. we are about to enter the space age right now. I agree with that. We are, we are <laughs> yeah, we, we are, we are entering the space age. 
we're about to merge with our artificial intelligences. That's going to be exponential uh, evolutional growth that happens in the human race. And yet here we are, you know, throwing, you know, weaponry at each other, you know, for, you know, a little, little, you know, difference in political ideas or, you know, different color skin or different religion. Uh, boy, oh boy, you know, we're, we're suddenly at each other's throats. And I think that that worries our visitors that uh, whether they're all, you know, I think that some are dimensional, that some are interstellar. Uh, but I do think that it's probably a little bit like the Star Trek world out there where, you know, one race knows another and you have to kind of follow the rules and, and then you're allowed to be spacefaring. But if you're a danger to everybody, you got to figure they're, they're going to not let you do that. You know, well, and I think that we're you. to that point. You're talking truth. Are you talking you. truth? Do you think so? Because Jim Mars so. got pissed off at me because I wouldn't come forward legally. And I still wasn't, my husband and I still, you know, we needed the U.S., with the last time we checked in, we were cleared through the U.S. Treasury. We were hauling U.S. Treasury money and Microsoft laptops. So we didn't need to lose our jobs. And Jim Mars was very insistent and got, you know, talked to Dirk Vanderplug about me writing oh. reality, but like it was, uh, not real, but it was real to me. But I wouldn't come forward to him and let him write about me. But Stanton did the same thing. Stan Friedman, you know, we talked. Yeah. I saw my AT and T bill for years, you know, and wow. uh, he and I talked about doing a book as soon as he got finished with Kathy out of New York. His, uh, you know, I yeah. knew he had a uh, uh, somebody in New York helping him. But uh, I did put some of the stuff just to sort of let him, people know because he and I worked on a case. Earl, one of the first cases was the Jesse Marcel case. And oh, I promised wonderful. Jesse Marcel I wouldn't give up on that. And the Smithsonian, Jesse Marcel. You know Denise Marcel is a dear friend of mine. Denise is a good, good friend. Yeah, she's I love a friend that of family. mine, but I've never talked to her. Yeah. Uh, but she is the yeah. uh, daughter of daughter. Jesse Marcel the third. Is our second? Her, her second. Her, her uh, Jesse Marcel her first was her third. grandfather. Yeah, yeah, wonderful well, family. Well, she may not know I met her grandfather. I don't know. Uh, she and I have never hmm. talked. I'll have to have her on the show. What do you think? You can yeah. ask her if you decide to come back. But remember now. <laughs> People listen all over the world, and we never know who's calling in. But I've never let somebody yeah. interrupt an interview I was doing like this. So, Miss Six One Nine San Diego, are you going to give me a name to go by? Because I'm here all the time, and you must be a BTR person because you found me. Blog Talk Radio is what I mean, right? Sorry, I had muted muted myself. Sarah, my name is Sarah. Okay, good, Sarah. I like that. My grandmothers both were Sarahs. Is it S-A-R-A-H or S-A-R-A? S-A-R-A-H. Okay, but that, I don't care if that's your stage name when you sing or play. <laughs> I just need something because, you know, there's so a lot Sarah, of Sarah. You still, you still uh-huh. sing and stuff? Or you, you still do your music out in San Diego area? Uh, no, I have music? not. Um, I've taught. Oh, okay. I've taught since I've been here, but I, I've had some health issues. I had a stroke and... Oh, um, I'm sorry. No heavy Yeah, it's been a hard okay. year too for anybody who who is a professional musician. I uh, everybody had a, a very difficult year, 
now finally people are, are playing out again. I, I, I just, you know, the last year I pretty much just spent doing my UFO work. There was no place to play and nobody to play my guitar yeah. too, except my wife and my cats. Like, I kind of took a little break. I, let me ask sure. you a quick question. I sought to tell the truth last night. And uh, RuPaul was on there and asked somebody that's seen the data. Uh, Kim Kardashian went with uh, this kid to the prom, and he was on the To Tell the Truth. But she asked him what record they danced to. And he looked at her, uh, one of them, the third one, like, record? Uh, and then the other girl next to him said, CD. And then I think the other guy said, eight track, the guy that is the host. I can't <laughs> remember his name. But what uh, now, I went out of business with Steve Jobs, put me out of our, the dollar. I guess he saved the day because at least we could sell a song that you heard on the radio today, me singing. But that, that I paid like a lot of, a whole lot of money in New York, I mean, Nashville, to record these things, right? But now yeah, uh, they, the kids don't use DVDs. And I remember people coming over and giving me uh, like my family, I said, I don't want these damn things. Stop dropping them off at my house. They were uh, recording them on something and leaving me with old country DVDs and things. What do they use now? Please tell me. <laughs> now people just now people just record files and just send the computer file to you. You you know, I mean that's that's what I have. I'll I'll do a studio session. Uh, I've been working on a new project and. Uh, but it will probably never go on D, uh, on on a CD. It'll just be a download. A lot of well, stuff these MP3s use, is what I do. I yeah, do that's MP4. MP4. That's what that's that's what I do too. Is the MP3 oh. now? So it's yeah, all that's, computer that's, that's now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and then live streaming services. It's all, all data. Yeah. It's all data, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, they kind of ruined the music industry. I, I hate to say it, yeah, but they sure. got out of their control. Yeah, it got out of their control. I mean, uh, you know, there used I to be the A and R, you know, artist repertoire guys, and you had certain yeah. labels that were important. And now everything's done, uh, in, in you know, people record their albums on their own computers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a guy well, who's got a, a proper studio that I I go to, but even he uses Pro Tools and and does, oh, uh, it winds up. That's yeah, what I used. Yeah, the studio stuff. Yeah, that was 2004. Yeah. So they still got a Pro Tools, or I'm sure it's upgraded. Yeah, Pro Tools. Is, yeah, oh yeah, it's upgraded much. It's much better and easier than it was in 2004. But I still, I you know, I've got. I figure I only have so many neurons, and, and most of my <laughs> neurons are all sucked up into UFOs and books and you know doing you know per, you know. The, PowerPoint presentations and stuff. So when I do music, I, I want to go to a studio where I've got a proper engineer and somebody yeah. who's doing that for me. Well, at least you've so got people to talk to you. I have to separate all my developer work. I've been with uh, Google uh, uh, GoDaddy since 2004. So how many years mm-hmm. is that? What is this, 21? I get lost <laughs> in my 21. multi-phase spacing up there running That's around in multi years. How many? GoDaddy, 17 years, I guess, I think, yeah. Okay, well, I started with them in 98, actually, but we had different mm. files with Wild West, and then I got in a big argument in Owensboro uh, with my guy that was running my computers, and they blew it. They took my entire uh, 
computer and wouldn't give it back. And they had me and I think the government took our, our hardware. It was me and do you mm. know the name? Now, you're in the uh, UFO biz. Surely you know the beginning story with uh, Don Elkins and uh, uh, in Kentucky where it all started a long time ago, right, in the UFO uh, sure. business with Kentucky. Don Elkins, you remember him? Sure, yeah. Carla McCarty, but what was Carla's name before it was McCar- Jim McCarty and her got married? I can't remember, uh, Carla. I'm not anyway, sure. I'm not sure. She was There's a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of she people and I were talking. She and I, um, oh, my God, that girl, she bothers me. Uh, 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 Carla was over at... Uh, where was she? she was on the phone when they were talking to Steve. Uh, oh, this UFO business, folks, you got to realize everybody knows everybody, and don't kid yourself if you think they don't. Yeah. But uh, we knew everybody was everybody. <laughs> and I was in Hawaii, yeah. and uh, I was in Kentucky, and uh, my husband did a 20-year in back program. I guess I did because they had me on the government contract. Sarah, they moved me from, uh, oh, my God. People, I, all of a sudden, I've gotten really famous in June. I told the universe I'd come back with you, Earl, and come back on here and get busy again. And everybody in the UFO business is calling me now. So they say, well, no, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Good. <laughs> well, do you mind coming back? Because we're out of time, and I didn't know Sarah sure, was Sure, I'll come, come back on. sometime. It was, it was fun. I enjoyed talking with you guys. So, all right. Well, we'll I, I love the rest I of your uh, I loved our call in here. It was wonderful. Oh, you did? You liked so, Sarah? You liked call in? Sarah was great. I love, yeah, I love that, actually. Oh, well, maybe so Sarah will come back next want, Monday. Yeah, next time you can have yeah, Q&A at the end if you want, because I love doing that. You know, that's I, I like people. I like answering their questions, and, uh, you know, that's kind of what I do. So. <laughs> okay, well, if you're... if you're into UFO talk, we can do it next Monday, folks, same time. I'm on every day. Four to six uh, now. I'll have, well, have to look at my calendar. We'll figure out another time. But thank you yeah, very much for having me, TJ. Back, and Sarah, yeah. if you and again, come back. for anybody, you know, MUFON.com, that's, you know, if you see a UFO or you've had, you've had an experience, uh, go to MUFON.com. Uh, you can see Report a UFO. You can click on that. Or if you... Uh, if, if you've had a face-to-face or an abduction happen with a non-human entity, uh, you can go to the Experiencer Research Team uh, page that uh, tells a little bit about all of us that work in the ERT. And you can uh, there's a, a questionnaire that you can fill out that's 30 questions. And if you want to get a hold of an ERT person like myself, who uh, isn't going to be judgmental, but is going to listen to your strange, strange story because they're all strange. I'll tell you that <laughs> right now. Uh, there, there's no, you know, there's no such thing as a, as a normal meeting with a with a non-human entity. It's it's always weird, you know. I well, mean, they may Sarah. look like humans, but <laughs> you know, some, there's going to be high strangeness involved, and that's a part of it, you know. And and I do think that we're being changed, retooled. As a species, I think that that's the main. I think the main objective. Uh, is I think that there's other motives out there. Some not so good. Some are good, better than others. 
but I think that the overriding objective is is that they're trying to get us to think in a quantum way instead of in a Newtonian way, that uh, they want us to see our universe as more interactive than we think it is. Anyway, MUFON.com. If you want to be like Earl. Thank you so much. Well, Earl, I think you've done a good job, and I do want to have you back and uh, to learn more about you and what you're doing to help people. And like you said, you've got a good voice and uh, a caring soul. And uh, you not knowing that we were going to have a call in or we were going to have all so much trouble. But now remember, Earl, I told you, I'm just going back to business, coming out of retirement, going back, you know, online. I've had this show for nine years, but I'm going to use it to my advantage to let people talk about all the change. And uh, you know, consciousness is the big deal, folks. But I'm a, I run a company, TJ Mars Agency. And I have ACIRradio.com. I put Earl's page over What? Up, your phone is, 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 is messing up there, TJ. It's <laughs> great. There you All are. right, there folks. You well, Sarah, be sure and uh, look us up on BTR, or you can come back next Monday. And then, folks, I have a show just about every day of the week now from 4 to 6. I used to be on 8 to 10 at night, but because I'm old and retired, I moved everything to 7. So love and light. And uh, Sarah, you got any last words? Or is that is that you, Earl? I think she may have, I think she may have hung up already. So, oh, okay. All right, thank you well, so much, TJ. Well, we'll talk and figure out another date I can come on, okay? So uh, I'll talk with you soon. And I'm, I you guys you can find me job. on Facebook. Just under Earl Gray on job. Facebook if you want to get a hold of me. So oh, thank yeah, you, TJ. Facebook. That's your social yeah. media, right? Yeah, that's I kind of contact, stay in touch with people that way. So that's that's the best way to get a hold of me. You can always Earl email Gray me Anderson. at earlgrayanderson uh, at gmail.com, which is a direct way to get a hold of me, earlgrayanderson at gmail.com, or just get a hold of me as Earl Gray on Facebook. And you'll see it says I'm Chief Investigator for MUFON. There's, there's just one of me there. So, All right. Okay. Thank you so much, TJ. You guys all have a wonderful day out in radio land, a wonderful <laughs> night. That is. All right. Well, bye we, now. We, thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for the UFO talk, okay? Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, folks. We appreciate Earl Gray Anderson. Great person, good personality, a nurse, and uh, his mother worked for Howard Hughes with his claim to fame, and then he became a musician. And then he joined MUFON. That stands for Mutual UFO Network. And we do a good job doing public relations work. Uh, we actually, uh, I came around uh, at the same year that uh, David McDonald in Ohio. Uh, now, no, let's see, I was in before, well, I was really in from 67, to be honest, incognito. <laughs> As a kid being trained to do uh, all the UFO stuff undercover because it wasn't uh, accepted. It wasn't in the public eye. So, that's what that was about, and uh, now I can live to tell my tale, finally, after 2017. So Ken, uh, Ralph Kennedy Johnson uh, Sr., that worked for Grumman at NASA and I met 
May 10th, 2017, on my anniversary. I think, was that my 50th anniversary? Let's see, 67, that'd be 77, 87, 97, 2007. Is that right? 77, 87, 97, 2007. Yeah, 50 years. Good lands. All right. Well, Ken and I have got 50 years into this business as ambassadors for NASA space and uh, getting us off this planet, okay? We're ambassadors of goodwill. We're volunteers. We work with ACO Association, UFO Association, and we're ambassadors of goodwill. And Earl was a delight, and he got started in California and uh, with Jeff Krause and doing the California uh, cases. And hopefully we'll get Jeff back on here. He's a delight. Uh, hopefully, for me, it's like yesterday, folks. I've got the strangest mind. Some things are just totally blocked, and other things are just like they were yesterday. So, Jeff Krause, if you can hear me, uh, come back. Do some more shows. And uh, David, uh, I'm sure, is busy running a MUFON, and they have some new people. I have no clue who they are. But hopefully they'll accept the old guys and the old women, men in black. <laughs> we have stories that are really... Yeah, interesting. So they time, and I apologize for the uh, communications, but I'm being told that. goes around the circle the end we've got a lot of topics to this for the UFO talk and I guess Sarah who was our secret guest so this may be a new thing with us so Love and light, everybody, and uh, we're going to check out of here with a real simple little uh, tag off that has a minute, but we're going to shut this off. See you tomorrow. <laughs>